Yeah, Luke 17, we're going to look at two verses here, um, two verses from Luke 17, but we're going to do a little Bible drill and take a little walk through a couple New Testament passages to look at this thing called faith. But um, Luke chapter 17, uh, Jesus has been delivering some discourses, speaking quite a bit. Some of your Bibles have them in the red letter. Some of your Bibles don't. They're in quotation marks. But either way, Jesus is speaking and the apostles said to the Lord, we'll read this verse, these two verses, verses 5 and 6, Leviticus, Luke. Did I say Leviticus before? We're in Luke 17, just to make sure. If we were in Leviticus 17, we'd be speaking on an entirely different subject. We'd be speaking about sin, actually. Luke chapter 17, verses 5 and 6. Verse 5, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Verse 6, and the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. This is the word of the Lord, and he will most certainly add his abundant, gracious, and magnified blessing to the reading of his holy truth, and let us pray. Our most blessed and gracious Father in God, in Jesus' name and for his sake, you've, you've uh, fed us today, Lord, from your word in, in Luke 17, but you continue to do so this afternoon, uh, even after we have uh, had fellowship together and broken bread together and, and uh, enjoyed one another uh, in the spirit very much akin to what we see in Acts chapter 2. And so we gathered again, we gather again today, Lord, to, to hear from the Apostles' Doctrine, specifically this gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and his words. So we pray, Father, that we may have ears to hear, eyes to see, um, and hearts to draw nearer to you, that we may recognize the blessed truth of the faith of Christ and the, and the truth of Christ that we may walk pleasing unto you in Jesus' name and for his sake we do pray. Amen. Amen. Now, the context of this, and we will read this also, uh, verse, uh, verses one, 1 through 4 of chapter 17. I want to read that because it gives you some context. Because here's the disciples, they cry out, increase our faith. Well, why? Because really the context is forgiveness. Um, it says in verse 1 of chapter 17, And he said to the disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come. But woe to the one through whom they come. Verse 2, It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And so we see two things, actually. One is the temptations to sin and the resultant reward of those sins. It would be better for a millstone to hang about one's neck. Because our sins will cause someone else to sin. However, the Lord shifts gears a little bit there because he presents forgiveness. And he says, and if someone sins to you seven times, and the context of that is from the Greek, it gives you the idea in the syntax, you know, the way that the sentence is structured in Greek. 
It gives you this idea that he's talking about the same, very same sin. That very same sin, and he sins again the very same way. Seven times in a day. Forgive him. He's bringing what we would call an absurdity to this. It's ridiculous that that would happen. However, he says, if it were to happen, then that's how far your forgiveness should go. And the disciples understanding this, by the Spirit ministering unto them, because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is ministering unto them, because He's ministering to them through the person of Jesus Christ. God the Son is standing there. That's why when God the Son said, it's necessary for me to go away, so that the Holy Spirit will not only be with you, but He will be in you. And then minister unto you those truths. And so He's being minister, they're being ministered unto you, and unto the, un, un, He's ministering unto them, and the Holy Spirit's ministering unto the, uh, to the disciples, the apostles, so they cry out, increase our faith. And then Jesus brings another absurdity to it. If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. They recognized that the faith that they had wasn't enough to forgive. And we recognize that through the gospel accounts too because as, as they begin arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom, uh, they begin planning and plotting and getting even mom to come around to say, can uh, you have someone sit here on the right hand and on the left? So, so why do you guys want that? <laughs> he doesn't address mom, Mother Zebedee. <laughs> she, he addresses uh, you know, Zebedee's wife. He doesn't address her the mom of the Thunder Boys, so I guess it would be Thunderbomb. <laughs> he just directs, uh, he just directs his answer to the Thunder Boys immediately. Why do you want to sit to the left? You don't know what you're asking about. So you know, we, got these, we have these conflicts, yet they realize, increase our faith. We don't have enough faith to do what you're telling us, Lord. And he says, a grain of mustard seed. Now, why would somebody want to put a mulberry bush, a mulberry tree, excuse me, or a bush, why would want to, somebody want to put a mulberry tree and have it uprooted and be planted in the sea? You know, Jesus, Jesus said it here, but granted, there are all kinds of people that really want to do that. Well, see, there's, you know, some people take Mark 16 where it says that you shall drink poison and handle dead, uh, handle snakes, and they will not harm you. Sad that it would be in a portion of scripture that. <laughs> isn't in the ancient manuscripts. It doesn't appear until like, you know, a few hundred years ago. And then they would take that and start handling shakes and snakes and saying, look, look, look what kind of faith I have. <laughs> yeah. That's not what it's, t- and, and you know, you can take this so far out of context. But what we, ha- what we see is, is that when Jesus talks about this faith, we'll get to the mulberry tree in a moment, as far as its absurdity. What kind of faith are we talking about? Well, the New Testament is very clear about that, and that's why we'll have a little bit of a Bible drill. We recognize that faith is a grace of God. If you want to turn there, the passage is familiar, because Brother Sean had you open up to it today, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Many of you can quote it off the top of my head, even. Not just off the top of your head, you can quote it off the top of my head. That's how easily... Uh, easily memorized it has been. In fact, uh, he, uh, Sister Susan read it this morning in Sunday school, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. But we'll look, just look at verses 8 and 9 of Ephesians chapter 2. 
and recognize something. First, the first thing that we should know about faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. I'll wait till you're there. Sometimes when you get a new Bible, the pages stick. Verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. In other words, faith is a gift of God. It's a grace of God. You don't muster it up. From your inside saying, well, you know, I believe this. It's, it's got to be a gift. It, it, it comes from elsewhere. The, what we have, because we are descendants of Adam, wait, basically if we tried to draw it up, we're just drawing it up from dead dust. That's the kind of faith that natural man has. To be able to believe that if he um, gets to Birmingham... And, and is uh, over there by UAB and gets on a bus that says that they're going to North Birmingham, that they're trusting that the bus driver is going to get them there. That's natural, that's natural faith or belief. But we recognize that that's not what the Bible is talking about. It has to come from outside of us, something supernatural. We, re- we recognize further its source. It comes from outside of man from Ephesians. So if you turn to the left, to the one book prior to Ephesians, which is Galatians, you know how to remember those prison epistles, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Go eat popcorn. Gentiles eat pork chops. General Electric Power Company. Sorry, Alabama Power. (laughs) Just to remember those that after 1 and 2 Corinthians, you have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, so you can... You can remember it in any way you want to. But we go to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. And we find out something else about faith. Many of you probably have this one memorized too. Because it's a very well-known verse of Scripture, very well-known passage of Scripture. But the fruit of the Spirit, and that's speaking of the Holy Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Now, in the English Standard Version, it says faithfulness. But if you have the King James Version, it says faith. New King James Version, I believe, says faithfulness. NASB says faithfulness. ESV says faithfulness. But the King James Version, the old King James Version, says faith in verse 22. And then it says, verse 23, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no God. But the faith is the fruit of the Spirit. It uses the Greek word here, uh, pistis, which means, which is more correctly translated, faith. Now, although faithfulness is the correct translation as well, faith itself is the is what it's speaking of. It's speaking of the fruit of the spirit being all these things, and faith is way down on the list. All these other things seem to be a priority, but faith is on the list. So now we know the source. We know it comes from outside of ourselves, but we know where it comes from. It comes from God. The faith that you have to believe comes from God. Otherwise, you can't believe. If there's somebody who makes an assent to believe, who thinks that he is believing in Christ because you tell him about Jesus who died on the cross for your sins 
and etc. And he says, well, I believe that. If it is not a faith that comes from God, it's the faith of devils. And I'm not going to ask you to turn there. James chapter 2, verse 19. You, I quoted it this morning. Thou believest God is one, thou doest well. The devils believe and tremble. Sinful man, fallen man, apart from God, the revelation that comes from God has not a faith that can believe and trust. See, this carries with it trust. Trusting, which I'm going to ask you to turn backwards from Galatians through 2 Corinthians through 1 Corinthians, stop at Romans chapter 4. It does not carry with it the faith that trusts in God. The devils don't trust in God. They recognize who he is. They've seen the eternal God. They live in the spirit realm. But they do not have the faith that trusts in God. And we'll see this in Romans 4 from the episode of Abraham. And you'll notice this about Abraham. Abraham chapter, uh, Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. That after Abraham's name is changed in Genesis, he's never referred to as Abram again. Even in in a reference to when it was before his name was changed. He's always called Abraham. Because when God changes something, it's eternal. And it's permanent. That's why if you are saved by God, and saved by God's grace, you won't be unsaved. Romans chapter 4, a very familiar passage of Scripture, begins with verse 1, oddly enough. And if I could just get there, I'll be able to read verse 1. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Now it's quoting Genesis chapter 15. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 4, Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as, a, as his due. Verse 5, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Verse 7, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count sin. There's a, a twofold, twofold blessing right there, that his uh, lawless deeds are covered, and then two, that his sins are not counted against him. But the faith that Abraham uh, had from Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6, where, which is quoted in verse 3, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Remember the scene that was going on that when God appeared unto Abraham, he said, count the stars. If you could count them for numbers, so shall I multiply your seed. And Abraham believed God. Based on God's word, he believed him. He believed him and he trusted that it would be so. He didn't know how it was going to be so. But he trusted that it was going to take place. So Abraham believed him. Faith engages imputation. His, the righteousness of Christ who had not yet come. Because faith which trusts in God, in God's word. When God says something and, tr and we trust 
what God has said that it's, it's going to be, that God counts it for righteousness. So faith engages imputation. Faith isn't just a belief, it's active. It employs who we are and it sets who we are unto a trust that engages or embraces the things of God. One of them is imputation. It's accounted unto us as righteousness. Now stay in chapter 4 here and move to verses 18. I wish I could go through this verse by verse with you, but we don't have time, because, especially because of the turkey might put us to sleep before I put you to sleep. But in Romans chapter 4, verses 18 to 25, we see also, as Paul brings about the truth of, as Paul brings about the truth of, of faith be engaging imputation, we see that faith grows strong as well. Because you know the story of Abraham. Abraham. When Abraham received this promise in Genesis 15, he thought he'd give God a little bit of help. He believed that God, what God said, and God counted it to him for righteousness, but what did he do? He had Ishmael. And then even after God said, no, you have Ishmael, but this, by this time next season, you'll be visited. Sarah will bring forth a child, the one of promise. Oh, that Ishmael may live before you. No, you're going to name him Isaac. Because you're laughing about that you're, kinda, you're too old and that Isaac is beyond the way of women. The, everybody knows that from Genesis, right? That Sarah was beyond childbearing because she'd already reached menopause. She didn't have the plumbing anymore that worked for being able to deliver children. And Paul picks up on this as well. So faith grows stronger. It might have a little misstep along the way, because we're sinners. Abraham was still a sinner. Though he's called the father of faith. He had a misstep along the way. But Paul brings about in verse 18. Uh, it, it begins with this. It says. In, the, in hope he believed against hope. That he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told. So shall your offspring be. Verse 19. He did not weaken in faith. When he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. This is the twice dead consideration here. Verse 20. No, no unbelief made him, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, verse 21, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, verse 22. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So we see that faith grows. Paul applies Genesis 15 verse 6 to Abraham's faith that when he brings about the fact that after Ishmael was born, and he's about 13 years old at this time, and then Isaac is going to be, it's a year before Isaac is going to be born, Abraham still believed. God says, no, I'm bringing forth the son. I'm bringing forth the son. And so his faith grows stronger, even though he had a little bit of 
even though he had to come along a little ways, he still had faith that grew. Now, I'm going to actually ask you to turn to Hebrews, turn to the right, through from, from Romans 4, go through First and Second Corinthians, go through the prison epistles, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, go through the pastoral epistles, excuse me, go through the uh, uh, Thess- First and Second Thessalonians, and go through, uh, then go through the pastoral epistles. First Timothy, sec- Second Bethany, Philemon. Well, see, Bethany would have to not naturally follow Timothy, especially after yesterday. Titus, <laughs> then Titus. Now, if they have a baby and name him Titus, I, I quit. I'm not, it's time for me to retire. <laughs> go through, go through Titus. Now, you know our next two children, Titus and Philemon. And uh, we'll ask Brother John to be the godfather because he brews. <laughs> that's, that's the truth. Lisa has not made coffee in 30 years. Because she said, look, it's in the Bible, he brews. I know, that's an old joke. Uh, okay, Hebrews, uh, <laughs> um, Hebrews chapter 11, we recognize... And, and just, just so that we get the gospel in there, not just, the, you know, we shove the gospel in. we got to get the gospel in there. But the natural occurrence now, we see Abraham's faith. And what was Abraham's faith in Hebrews chapter 11? I'm sorry, Ted, you go to Hebrews. And, um, but Hebrews chapter 11, also called the Hall of Faith, where we look in verse 17. Bless you almost. <laughs> bless you almost. She, she suppressed the sneeze, so I had to bless I had to bless her almost. Now bless you, sorry about that. Verse 17, by faith. Um, actually, we, we could go earlier, but we'll just start at verse 17, Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now let's continue through, even though we're imagining Genesis, we haven't turned there, but we, we've gone through Ishmael. Now Isaac is the promised son. Now we are, now Isaac is born. They name him laughing because, gee, not just because Sarah was laughing, Sarah laughed at it, Abraham laughed at it, but because God said his name will be called Yitzach, which means laughing. God said that his name would be called that, just as he said that Jesus' name would be called. Jesus, just as he said that John the Baptist's name would be called John. So he has named, he has named this son of, named this son of promise. And now we fast forward in Hebrews, this portion that we're reading here, we're fast forwarding to Genesis 22, where I believe that Isaac is 33 and a half years old. We have those pictures, I know, in Sunday school where we believe that we see Isaac, he's 12 years old because he's, you know, he's just a boy. He's just a lad in Genesis 22. Well, he had two servants that were called lads as well, Na'ar in Hebrew, and more than likely, well, see, if Abraham was 133 years old, a 33-year-old man would still be a child. 
Because it was a picture of Christ. All those pictures he takes, he carries the wood up on his back. It's three days journey where they go to Moriah, which is the exact place where Jesus was crucified because that's where the temple was built by Solomon. As we follow it around this first Chronicles with the building of the temple. And so in verse, uh, in verse 17, as we've read in verse 18, we've read verse 19. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back by faith. Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau, and we won't get into that. But here we see where Abraham, Abraham believed that when he raised up the knife in Genesis chapter 22, he was going to bring it down and kill his son as the commandment to bring him as a burnt offering. Because the burnt offering, the consecration offering, really, it's the first offering that is, that is given in detail in the book of Leviticus in chapter 1 because that was Jesus' offering. Actually, every offering is Jesus' offering. But that one was primary because it was a complete offering, a consumed offering, a whole offering. And when Jesus hung upon the cross, he gave everything. His, he was the burnt offering that hung upon that tree. And so as we see this here, Abraham believed that he would be raised from the dead, even though we didn't get that idea from Genesis. This is why Jews that do not believe in Jesus have trouble with Genesis chapter 22. Why would God tell him to do this, to do this thing when he promised this son? And then they have to try to work out the mechanics. But this was to become the prophecy because in Genesis chapter 22, he says that this place would be called Yahweh Yira, which is interesting because the name Yahweh wasn't even given until Moses in Exodus chapter 6. Because uh, actually Exodus chapter 3 and in Exodus chapter 6, we know that God tells Moses that I have not been known by this name, Jehovah, Yahweh. I have not been known by this name, but before, by the patriarchs, by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I was known only as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But what Yahweh Yira means is it shall be seen. It, the Lord shall see it. It's future tense because it speaks of Jesus Christ going to Moriah, carrying the wood himself, and then being sacrificed by the Father because that's the command of God. And he, the author of Hebrews tells us that Abraham believed he would be resurrected. Why? Because Jesus would be resurrected. Raised from the dead, he is risen. Indeed, and so we see faith growing even stronger. We see that faith, because of that, turn with me to the right, to the book of James, which is right after Hebrews. And after that will be the book of Charlie. Charlie Fred. We got our deacons in the Bible already. Well, there isn't the book of Charlie there. There ought to be. James chapter 2, verses 18 to 26, because the verse that I quoted is in there. Verse 19. But faith produces work. If this faith that is from God, this is the same faith. What James talks about is the very same faith Paul was talking about in Romans 4. It's faith that grows strong and is a faith that produces works. Even as we read in Hebrews 12, James chapter 2, verse 18, it says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, 
Uh, sorry, Brother Sean. I guess this was your lesson this morning. <laughs> I've been using a lot of Brother Sean's uh, teachings from this morning's Sunday school lesson. He thought I wasn't paying attention. But <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just There you go. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. Thank you. Uh, verse, eight, verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the devils believe and shudder. They tremble, as the old King James says. Verse 20, do you want to be shown, uh, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled. It says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He's quoting Genesis 15, verse 6, the same verse that Paul quotes in Romans chapter 4. And he was called a friend of God. So you see, verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. What kind of not by faith alone? The kind that devils believe and tremble by. It's just a conscious assent to the knowledge. Faith that comes from God carries with it the empowerment to, to do, to believe, to trust, and then act upon the word of God. Verse 25, it says, In the same way was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers sent uh, and sent them out by another way. For as bo- the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. What I mean to, to, to summarize that, to help you understand this, to help you grasp it, is that the justification that, Paul, that's, that James is talking about here is not justification unto salvation. We know we're justified by grace apart from works when we're saved. It's all of God's grace. But the justification he's talking about here is the justification of faith. Okay, I know this, maybe I lost a few of you, but the justification before God is the justification that was spoken of by Romans in quoting that Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. It was all of grace. But this justification is the justification of faith, that it is the same faith that Abraham had when, God, when it was by b- grace through belief alone because it trusted in the word of God. And since it was the faith that was imparted to Abraham, it must be the same faith because it's from God. Why? Because God does not change. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Therefore, the faith that Jesus gives us, which I'm going to ask you to turn backwards to Hebrews chapter 12. Kind of close this up. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. The first faith of Jesus, that Jesus gives us cannot change. It can, it can grow. It can grow strong. It will produce works. We may falter, but that faith, if it were the grain of a mustard seed, is enough to be able to believe and trust that God became a man. 
and live the righteous life that you and I can't and go to the cross and be the substitutionary atoning sacrifice that he can he who is fully man and fully God could bear our iniquities suffer God's wrath shed his blood die a death rise from the dead Ascend into heaven with the promise of coming again and believing and trusting on that you require just a mustard, in a sense, a mustard seeds grain of faith and that must come from God himself. But moreover, it's coming from Christ. uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and we only read one of the witnesses, that was Abraham in chapter 11, who went to what the Jews call the Akedah in Mount Moriah to sacrifice his son. Such a great cloud of witnesses of faith, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, in your King James Version, it says the author and finisher of our faith or looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith in the English Standard Version, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the, fo- of the throne of God. And more literally from the Greek, looking to Jesus, the, found- the author and perfecter of faith. It doesn't have a, a, or of the faith, of the faith that we believe, but also, I believe, of the very faith that he has imparted to us. God didn't just give us any, you know, faith as a, as a thing. It is a, yes, it is a grace of God. It is a gift of God. It's a fruit of the Spirit. But the faith that he has given us is the very faith that Jesus Christ walked upon the earth with to do everything that he had done. And this is why Jesus could say, if you have the faith of a grain of a mustard seed, if it was that small, because it's so supernatural, so powerful, like those little little homeopathy things that you gave me for the food poisoning, which seemed to work like gangbusters. Thank you, Sister Cassidy. Thank you, Sister Melissa. Thank you, Brother Bubba. Those things are a little tiny, but they, they work wonders as far as... Uh, that, that's my promo for the day. <laughs> Advertisement. <laughs> After these messages, we'll return to the Bible lesson. But it's so tiny, like a grain of mustard seed. The grain of mustard seed is so tiny, or even like a, which is a little bigger than a poppy seed. But Jesus is saying, even if it's that small, since it's heavenly, since it comes from Jesus, it is so powerful. It is so fully packed that it'll take a soul and it'll cause them to believe in Christ because it must be the very presence of Christ to save a soul. It's not just, coming to a logical conclusion. Jesus must be there and he must touch the, de- the litter bearer of the, dead, of the dead son and he must say, arise, believe this. That's what this faith is. It's a faith that is consistent. It's a faith that is from God. It is a faith that is full of the glory of God in it. And our flesh hates it because... That faith will pull us toward the cross, to keep us at the cross. The difference between the flesh and the faith, the flesh will create idols in order to put something in place of Jesus, make something equal to, as valuable as Jesus, 
or more important than Jesus. Because the flesh doesn't want to compete with anything else. It wants to satisfy its lust. But faith will bring us to the cross. Faith that comes from God will exalt Jesus Christ. Faith that comes from God, which is Christ's faith, the very faith that he used as a man to walk upon the planet, that faith is said it can move mountains. But why would you want to move a mountain unless God specifically commands you for that? The reason he used the illustration that you can take and pluck up a mulberry tree just by saying so is that when Christ gives us even the smallest command, go to church. Don't forsake the gathering together of yourselves as others are in the habit of doing because we need to encourage one another. We need to see Christ in one another. We see him in the scripture and we read the scriptures daily and we see Christ, but we need to come together as often as we can so we can see Christ in one another because we need to be encouraged it's because it's hard to see Christ in you. When, remember, when, when we look in the mirror in the morning, we, I don't want to look in the mirror in the morning. I, I, there's a reason I don't really shave because I don't want to have to face that for so long. I brush my teeth, cover my cover my eyes. I don't want to look at me growing old. I wasn't much to look at when I was young. Why would I want to look at me when I'm growing old? That silly flesh and all that stuff. But see, what I'm talking about is is that faith that's in us. We don't see the changes. We're too close to it. It's like, you know, you can't see the forest for the trees. We're too close to ourselves. But here's an encouragement. When we get our minds, when we get our eyes and attention off ourselves, we can more easily look at Christ when we see Christ in one another. And then that encourages us. So that now we have really a true application. We're not just seeing Christ in Scripture, but we're seeing how Christ ministers unto another. And it takes my mind off of self. And it makes me wonder, how can I be a blessing to this other? Because here's the truth. that 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26 tells us, I believe it's 26, you'll have to check on that. Write it down, look it up later. It says, for when one member suffers, we all suffer. But when one member is honored, we all rejoice with it. Because we're members one with another. And if I am doing something of benefit to you, to bring you to a place where you're exalting Christ more, that's going to benefit me. I'm going to grow. I'm going to be able to, I'm going to, be able to praise Christ. I'm going to be able to make, uh, exalt Him more in my life if I'm helping you to exalt Christ. It might be you're, you're feeling down and I happen to notice that and I come up with an encouraging word. Can I pray with you? How are you doing today? Let's just pray together with this. And that might be the encouragement. Or whatever it might be. Whatever that, whatever that thing might be. Or you might be happy. And then just, you know, when you get happy with something, something happens. Like what we had, this blessed event. And people are in tears and people are rejoicing. That when you, you join into that, and that makes them happier. And by their happiness, you see that in their, in their faces. And then you rejoice even more. And then you're crying together. That's why the Lord stopped the rain, because there was enough tears out there of joy that was going on in the celebration with the wedding. And then that's when we really, we're not doing church like some people want to do. We're just being church. We're just being who Christ made us to be. Because Christ saved you to want to be with you for eternity. 
Because we want to be with Him. That's what salvation is about. That's what heaven is. If we don't want Christ, we don't want heaven because He is what heaven is all about. I just want to give you that little encouraging lesson on faith today. And hopefully coupled with this morning's message as we saw the, as we saw the uh, um, Christ in Scripture. Maybe that will be a little you know, encouraging for you this week. And I pray that you might have your meditations filled with all the fullness of Christ. Let's pray. Our most blessed and gracious Father in God, in Jesus' name and for His sake, we thank you, Lord, for the uh, precious truths you've given us in your word. We pray that we might, might uh, grab a hold of them by your grace and that you'll uh, uh, bring them to our remembrance. And then we may we see Christ, and not only in the scripture more and more, but in others, in, in other believers, in our fellowship, and, and also, Lord, may we start seeing the potential of Christ in those that don't know you. We love you, Lord, and thank you in Jesus' name and for his sake we do pray. Amen. Okay. Do I turn it over?